Julie Nimoy followed in her father Leonard's footsteps in that she became a filmmaker, producing a number of films with her husband, David Knight. I had the opportunity to talk with Julie about growing up in the Nimoy household and her career, which included working with her dad on projects like Star Trek II. David joined us to talk about their films, including remembering Leonard Nimoy, his life, legacy, and battle with COPD. I'm T. Rick Jones, and this is your Daily Star Trek News. Thank you both for joining me. I really wanted to start, actually, uh, by asking, how did you two meet? Because everybody loves the beginning of a romance story. So tell me yours. So uh, we actually met on a dating app, if you can believe that. Excellent. <laughs> and um, I, uh, I had just gotten home. For, I was in New York and got home. And I, I had been, you know, going on and off the dating apps and thought they, it just wasn't working out. And I thought, OK, I'm going to give it one last try when I got home from New York, because I was feeling like never going to meet anyone. And uh, so I was, was on the app and saw that this guy was checking out my profile more than once. He didn't mm -hmm. leave a note or anything, but I thought, you know what? I'm just going to write him. Just say, hi, do you want to contact me? Let, you know, we can talk. And sure enough, he wrote back within a day, I yeah, think. Yeah, I got back. And said, um, here's my number. Why don't you call me? And so I called him. And uh, to make a long story short, we spent the month of June uh, in 2012 talking on the phone. Okay. And at, toward, at the end of the month, my older son said to me, if you don't meet this guy in person, you're going to cut it off. That's what he did. Because this will be a phone com a phone relationship. So I think David... I got the message. He got the message yeah. through, you know, just the universe that I better meet this girl uh, or else. So I got home from work one day and there was a message on my phone. It was like to call him. And I just, you know, I call him. He says, do you want to meet <laughs> <Yeah>. tonight? <laughs> like, the funny thing was, too, we lived in the same area. We were only maybe 10 minutes away, 15 oh. minutes away from each other. And we knew some of the same people. And so it, it really was kind of, you know, yeah. funny the way that all worked. Yeah. It was, it was fate. You were meant to, meant to meet, huh? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's how, that was, that was how we That met. was 10 years ago. Yeah. Ten years ago, you met, and you've been married how long? Seven, almost eight years. Eight years, yeah. This, yeah, yeah. yeah. May, May will be eight years. Yeah. May, okay, great. Yeah. May what? May third. Third. So let's go back in time to the the your origin stories, Julie. Um, so you were born in Atlanta, Georgia. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was born in Atlanta, Georgia, okay. in an army hospital. When my oh, okay. dad was finishing his second year in the in the army there. He was, oh. he was a, what was special was service? Special services. As, yeah. yeah. It was uh, Fort McPherson, right? Yeah, Fort, Fort McPherson. McPherson. Yeah. Okay. A, um, and we were, uh, so I was born in March of 55. And then he was done at the end of the summer. And we moved back here to L.A. Uh, right after that. Gotcha, gotcha. Your parents were in a show when your mom was pregnant with you. Is that 
Is that right? Do I have that right? Yeah, yeah. My dad, uh, uh, he was, um, you know, producing plays at the uh, the base and having the servicemen come and try out for them, and they were all part of the whole, you know, theatrical, uh, you know, plays there. And my mom was pregnant with me, and she it was uh, streetcar streetcar named Desire, and she played Stella, and uh, and my dad, yeah. Like Stanley. Stanley. <laughs> Andrew Stanley. That's yeah. Awesome. And so you moved back to LA. You had, I'm assuming, a pretty normal childhood up to a point. Um, yeah. and, then, and then your dad. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, my dad, you know, my dad was, um, when we moved back to LA, not only was he trying to be an actor and uh, get parts and you know, small cameo roles and whatever he could. He was also uh, doing weird, odd jobs like, you know, working in a fish store, driving a taxi, managing an apartment building, doing all these different things just to, you know, make money for the family. Because a year, a little more than a year later, my brother was born in LA. So, you know, it was he had to, you know, get everyone food. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then he got Star Trek. Right. Um, and yeah. things changed a little bit in your home life, I'm assuming, because suddenly he was not just dad, but he was Mr. Spock. Uh, he was famous. <laughs> right. So how did, how, did thing, how did that change your life? Um, I mean, just walking onto my uh, elementary school campus <laughs> and, you know, all the kids are like, wait a minute julie is spock's daughter wait you know it's like stuff like that i mean life just totally changed for us on so many levels just yeah. with school and with um you know all, all of a sudden he was getting a lot of attention and fan mail started to come in and then fans were reaching out and special appearances and it just you know his his work load was very heavy during the week and he he was gone at 5 a.m and home at 7 30 and you know so we didn't see him that much uh during that time so it was very different yeah yeah i can imagine um and but you got to um go to the set um and see see the star trek set yeah yeah on our school vacation you know we were able to go to the set and you know, it, it it was really a lot of fun just going and spending the day there. And, you know, we just, I'd, I'd walk around the lot and visit other sets like Mannix and, and go see other things being, you know, filmed on the set. And it's just fun watching my dad with the other uh, actors and what they do at lunchtime, you know, playing cards, <laughs> having lunch. And <laughs> it, it was great. Oh, that's that's really cool. Did you get to try on the ears? I didn't. No, my brother did, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> the pictures really made the rounds. That was a <laughs> uh, yeah. He yeah. he kept a set, right? He had a, he owned a set through his life, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Right. But it was it was really fun and unique and kind of novel for you know, all of a sudden your dad is this really famous personality that 
people want to meet and talk to and know and even you know going on some special appearances with him where he'd have to you know um sign autographs he'd bring us and kids would be asking me for my autograph and I'm like I'm I'm nobody Why <laughs> oh no you're Julie you're you're Leonard's daughter you know it's like okay so then you uh you grow up your dad Spock you you have the rest of your childhood uh where did you go to college and, and um, study? Uh, so I went to the University of Santa Barbara okay US, UCSB uh -huh. um went there graduated with a degree in fine arts meaning okay. that I didn't really know what I was gonna <laughs> do with my life <laughs> so I you know I, I for the first a uh, few years after graduation, I did various jobs, and um, finally, my dad's like, "You know, you gotta, you gotta figure out what you want to do." So I said, "Yeah, I want to, I want to work in TV and film. That's what I want. I want to work in production." So he, um, he actually, you know, made an introduction for me um, with the Alan Landsberg company. They, they did um, reality show like you know, the early day reality shows. Yeah. And uh, so I started there and then worked my worked myself up the ladder, you know, for the next few years, uh, getting on different production companies and working at Merv Griffin Productions, then at Paramount for a couple of years. So I, I continued doing that. I And in between jobs, I my dad would say, what are you doing? What job do you have? And Say I don't have anything right now. I'm looking. He said, "Well, I'm I'm going to be directing uh, the Powers of Matthew Star. Why don't you come with me and you can, you know, shadow me and and watch the other crew members do what they do." And so I'm like, "Great, great." So I spent a lot of time with him doing that That's on a lot of shows and films as well. So and I made a lot of connections during that time as well. Sure. Yeah. And at that point, you didn't know what part of film you were interested in doing right you were just trying to you were checking everything out to see yeah yeah, yeah. for the most part i i want to be in production um he wanted me to be an editor i didn't want to sit in a room editing all day i like to be out so you know i was leaning towards uh producing yeah. and um you know i did the i i yeah i stayed in production for quite a few years but then I got married and had kids. <laughs> and I stopped doing my my uh, my ex husband, who I have three kids with. Yeah. But eventually, he brought you on to the set of Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, right? Right. So yes. How did how did that come about, and uh, what did you do on the, on that show? So once. And I was uh, in between jobs. <laughs> There's a you know how it is, you know, it lasts that long. Yeah, that's and, the theater or film person's uh, life, basically. Yeah, right? exactly. So he said, I'm going to be um, uh, working on Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Do you want to come and uh, shadow the assistant directors? So I said, yeah, of course. Yeah, I'd love that. So I shadowed the second, one of the second and third uh, assistant directors on the on the film, just doing, you know, just kind of doing stuff for them and being available, whatever they needed. And 
And my dad and I drove to work uh, every day when he was, when he was going to be shooting, I'd go with him. When he wasn't, I'd go by my, you know, I'd drive myself. How was it driving through those iconic Paramount gates? Oh, I, I, it was cool. I loved it because, you know, remember I had been going there since I was 11 years old, sure. 10 years old, sure. 11. You were used to it. And I knew the lot very well, even when um, it, you know, Paramount took, o took over from Desi Lu. I, I knew the, the whole lot. I would walk it all the time or ride a bike through it and the, the guards knew me at the gate. So it was like, it was like I felt special, you know? Yeah, it's like, hey, Julie, come on in. You were there the day that Spock was killed in Star Trek. Tell me, right. tell me about your dad's, your dad's mood that day, the mood of the crew and the rest of the cast how it all went down, how people were after it, just, just, and how you felt yourself. Uh, just describe that whole day for me. So I met my dad at his house and it was early in the morning. And, uh, you know, when we got in the car, I waited for him outside and I, he always liked to drive when we went together. So I got in the car and he was just like, kind of stoic, you know, and into his own, mind you know and just yeah. like i you know it's like i knew i'm like okay don't don't talk don't be chatty he's like you know going through the whole process in his mind like what's going to be happening that day he was prepared but you know it was a personal thing as well and uh and i i felt it i felt definitely felt the vibe coming from him and i i knew just like let him you know think <clears throat> and so we got there and there were other scenes being shot as well that day so it's like you know kind of business as usual on the set but then when it came time to my dad spent a lot of time in his trailer that day I didn't bother him and I just did what I had to do and then when it came time to shoot the scene everybody was all all the crew was you know of course, there and watching and everybody had their jobs to do. And those of us that didn't have something to do, we just all sat on the floor and waited. And then my dad came in and uh, they did the scene. And it was, I mean, it was probably one of the most emotional days during that whole time of shooting this film. It, it was really powerful. And I don't remember how many takes it took. I don't, you know, remember the conversation between Nick Meyer, the director, and my dad and Bill and everything. All I know is just like, you know, every there wasn't a dry eye, dry eye on the stage. Yeah. And uh, when I, my dad pretty much nailed the scene. He he was so remarkable, and uh, uh, it was pretty powerful. And when he when it was over, everybody clapped you know, for him. And he just walked off the stage and to his dressing, you know, to his trailer. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, so it, it was, you know, it was a big day for everyone. And it was a sad day because, you know, everyone, you know, on the set realized that this was, there would be no more Spock, right. you know, that Spock wouldn't be a part of this. So. 
Until there was. <laughs> Until there was. Until the <laughs> happened. And my dad directed that one. So, you know, you know uh, well, dad, dad didn't want to do any more movies after the, the most, first motion picture. Yeah. And, uh, but when he was, you know, enticed by Spock having a very dramatic death scene, he agreed to do it. And I think after it was over, he really did feel sad. Yeah. That, um, you know, that was it. <laughs> yeah. Until it wasn't. <laughs> Until it wasn't. Um, and Harv Bennett that day actually came up with, or your dad, Harv Bennett went to your dad, I believe, and said, um, let's leave a thread open just in case we want to bring Spock back or the idea of Spock back. And your dad <laughs> actually came up with the idea of doing a mind meld with McCoy Right. Remember. Remember. Right. Remember that conversation yeah. at all? I um, kind of uh, vaguely. I know he did that with McCoy, though. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that part. It's yeah. it's really brilliant. It's one of the most brilliant parts of the film, actually, because it really does. It you can do anything with that with that reference. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can bring Spock back. You cannot bring Spock back. It can mean anything you want it to mean. Right. The next right. Film. Um, so I think your dad was real, real smart um, that way with, uh, you know, figuring yeah. that kind of thing out. Yeah, no, that was, that was definitely, that was a good thing because <laughs> yeah. uh, he was really happy when he came back to life. <laughs> Everybody was, I mean. Everybody was. Can I tell you, the fans were just devastated, you yeah. know, I, it was just, yeah, it was yeah. definitely hard on them. I mean, I. I know what's going to happen. It's, you know, a 40 year old spoiler, but, um, but I still tear up every time, you know, in that uh, radiation chamber when Spock and Kirk are parted. I, I know. Oh. I can't even look at the picture of it. It's just, I, yeah. <laughs> it's powerful. It is, it Very is. Powerful. It really is. And yeah. the way, the way um, Leonard, your dad bumps into the, bumps into the window of the radiation chamber mm -hmm. was so natural. You're not sure if it was an accident or not. Um, and that's, and that's just really good. That's a really great performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He, I mean, he did have a pretty remarkable performance in it. Absolutely. I was really proud of him, you know, in the car, when we drove home, I was, you know, I, I, I had to like talk to him about it, you know, and he, he actually was feeling good. He was, he was good. He was relieved that it was over. They had done it and it was time to move on. And, uh -huh. you know, so, you know, I, I think he heard me. I, I just was like, you know, giving him all these great compliments yeah. and everything. So, yeah. but yeah. So you you killed off Spock. Star Trek Two is done. You're you're not doing that anymore. You're going into filmmaking. Is we sort of talked a little bit about this earlier, but what what inspired you? What made you decide when your dad came to you and said you've got to decide what you want to do with this fine art degree, and you said filmmaking. Were you already thinking about that? What inspired you to become a filmmaker? Um, well. I guess it was like uh, two years, not even two years after I graduated from college, a friend um, of my dad's who actually 
used to run the Melody Top Theater in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where my dad did a few play uh, musicals. He came out to LA and he was shooting a like an indie film called uh, Deadly Games, a horror indie film. And he needed, you know, another production person on it. And when I graduated from college, I was actually going to be, I wanted to be an art therapist. Oh, and okay. yeah, so I worked at a hospital in downtown LA for uh, close to a year in, uh, as an intern in occupational therapy and art therapy. Um, but I worked with uh, actual, you know, therapists. Um, but it was kind of a rough time. My grandfather had cancer. He was very ill. And, you know, when he passed away, it's just like, I just couldn't, I didn't want to do it anymore. It was just too, I, I felt sad. I don't know. It's just my uh, art therapy group with all uh, geriatrics and uh, just seeing them made me feel bad every day. You know, it was a hard time. So I left that. And but while I was working down there, I also um, had started my own little dance studio. It was called Dynamite Disco. <laughs> I was just trying to make money, you know, and and do things that I enjoyed doing. And dancing was one of them. So my dad and my mom, they you know they knew I loved to dance and they knew I loved disco and all that. And my dad and I said I want to teach dance classes because I was taking them myself. I was doing a lot of different things as a, as a young person. And um, so I started this little disco class, these disco classes. And my dad put an ad in Variety magazine for me, you know, that to call me to come yeah. to the classes. And I held the classes in my parents' living room. And That's every great. day, my dad would uh, go to the living room and push all the furniture against one wall and roll up the carpet. And I taught, I'd come home from the hospital working there at like 3.30. And then at 4, 4.30, I'd start my classes until eight or nine. And I did that Monday through Friday wow. for a long time, for like a good eight months. And That's then incredible. I wasn't making enough money, <laughs> so. <laughs> So um, then this friend of my dad's who uh, came out to LA from Wisconsin, it was doing this film and I would be making some money, not a lot. And so I became a production assistant on his film and that's where it started. Wow. Yeah, that's I took so cool. film classes. I, I went back to extension, uh, UCLA, I took extension classes, filmmaking, and made my own little Super 8 film. And I was really trying to get involved in it. So that's where it all started. It also illustrates how supportive your father was because not yeah. a lot of fathers would A, push the furniture aside for you, yeah. and B, let you do disco in their living room. So. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, Leonard Nimoy's house is open for disco classes. <laughs> That's a story itself. <laughs> it's a really cute story for sure. It was fun. Yeah, I had some really good times. That's yeah. Really, that's I had really a lot of great times with my dad. We were very close. Yeah. You know, I went to another college as well. You did. Tell me. Yeah. I, I've actually been going to school off and on for a long time. But uh, what I'm pretty, really proud of, um, I went to uh, culinary school at La Cordon Bleu. 
No, real? What, when? Well, I was old. <laughs> I was in my 50s when wow. I went. Wow. Yeah, I always loved cooking and baking my whole life. Yeah. And, um, you know, I had three kids and I used to cook and bake homemade meals almost six nights a week. I mean, it was like we didn't go out to eat that often because I, I cooked. And my son, as he got older, he just said, you've got to go to school. You've got to become a real chef. You know, you love this. This is your love. So I did. And I went to Le Cordon Bleu in 2007 wow. and graduated from there. And I did that for not for a long time, but I worked I had uh, worked in catering, had a catering company, and I worked at a restaurant baking for three years. Wow. So, yeah. Your house for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loves. Everyone loves drinking. coming here. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be right over. I'm on the East Coast, but I'll get there somehow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm pretty proud of that because, um, you know, it was something that I was passionate about. And uh, I, I did, I wish I had actually gone into it at an early age, because I would have, I was toying with uh, owning my own bakery and, uh, or cafe, yeah. but I, it's just like, I felt like I was too old to be doing that. And it was, it's so much work. Yeah. It really is so much work, so. Another thing you did, which I enjoyed watching, was a certain Oldsmobile commercial. Oh, yeah. Um, you guys directed that, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. That was so much fun. Yeah. Tell uh, me about that experience. So Oldsmobile had a campaign, uh, you know, it was my dad or my mom and their celebrity parents, really, and their children or child. And my dad asked uh, Adam and I if we wanted to uh, be in this commercial. And Adam said, no, he, he wasn't interested. And I'm like, yeah, I want to, I'll get a car and uh, a little bit of money. And, you know, yeah. it would definitely help, you know, schlepping my three kids around. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I did that with him and it was, it was what a fun experience that was. It was the first day on the set. Um, I'd never acted on camera ever before. So it was just like, or, you know, Never. It, I was, I'm always, I've always been on the shy side. So as far as that's concerned. And um, so I got on the set and we had to do the first uh, uh, part of the script. And he said, you don't have to use a different voice <laughs> to say your lines. <laughs> Be you. Relax, have fun. You don't have to, you know, like, <laughs> start speaking in some other voice. <laughs> I didn't even know I was doing that. <laughs> we have the outtakes. They're great. Yeah. I, I've yeah. seen some of the outtakes. There's one in, in your film about Leonard, which we'll talk about a little bit later, uh, where <laughs> he's giving you driving instructions <laughs> because you're driving sort of all over the road. Yeah. I know. They're like, okay, steer the wheel, don't, you know, don't overdo it. And I'm like, okay, trying, <laughs> I'm trying to like say my lines and uh, oh, it, we got, some, we had some really good laughs. That, that was a fun week. 
we shared a trailer together. I got a little plaque, you know, little star. <laughs> so, That's so cool. It uh, was fun. Yeah. IMDb lists a few films mm-hmm. um, for you, but I'm not sure it's a complete list. Do you Maybe know? I could add a little insight into that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, do, please. So what had happened was, first of all, when I met Julie, um, I didn't know who she was. She didn't even tell me who she was at all. I had produced a documentary film about uh, probiotics. We called it Micro Warriors. Oh, and okay. And when I was getting to know Julie, uh, we decided, my sponsor, that we were going to do a second film. And I asked Julie if she knew someone that could help me with the writing you know, of the script. And Julie said, well, my brother, he's a writer and he's a director. And so basically, uh, Adam said he would love to help with that. And then he said, my dad would like to narrate it. It's called Micro Warriors. And Julie and I had worked together on this. We actually filmed at the house. We were shooting. It was really a family affair because not only Julie and I were producing this, but also Adam directing and Adam's uh, kids were working in production, both of them. And so it really was this, this wonderful experience. And my passion has always been around health, health topics. And Julie started working with me subsequently on some of these film projects. And it was just really wonderful to work with, work with her because she has just great instincts on what works, what doesn't. She would watch the cuts and let me know if she thought it was interesting or was boring. Health films are kind of known to be very dull and boring type things. But after she would watch it, she'd say, honey, no, you got to change this, cut this. So it was really a, a great experience. And so much so that I could see, you know, Leonard was struggling with, with, with his health. Uh, I learned that he had COPD. So Julie and I decided it would be great to make a film about COPD and maybe even Leonard could narrate it or share his experience, other patients. And uh, that really was the start of Julie, almost like a second career, because now she wasn't just working in production on a level. She was an executive producer. So when you go on IMDb, you see all these credits as either a director or as an executive producer. So it kind of relaunched her her film uh, career, basically. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. And and just we really loved working with each other. And uh, and she's a really tough critic. So that's what I needed (laughs) to have somebody that can really look at it and know what works. And, uh, and that really led to doing, and it's been now, we did Micro Warriors in, in 2014, 2013, and now we're still working on a film, you know, the, the, the film we're currently working about, Gene Wilder, so there's like five films already between that first one and the Gene Wilder one. Let's talk about uh, um, Leonard Nimoy and the film you made and also his last days. Um, and I want to start... Uh, just by saying Leonard smoked his entire life. No, not his entire life. He eventually did quit smoking. Well, um, he, he started smoking when he was about 17. Yeah. And then he smoked until he was how old? Uh, I think he was in his... When Alex was born. Well, well, yeah, but so I was 
so he was like 54. So when I was pregnant with my first child um, and I was getting close to having him, uh, I told my, and my dad was still smoking. He was trying to quit. He did try to quit several times. He, uh, the, he went to smoke enders. He, he tried to do it that way. He did a cold turkey, um, you know, um, and, but I told him when the baby's born, he can't smoke around the baby. And um, so, you know, he just had to remember that when we came over to visit or he came to my place, there's no smoking. And I had quit as I was a previous smoker, you know, previous smoker. And when I found out I was pregnant, I quit cold turkey and that was it. So, <clears throat> so he, he did eventually quit it. It actually, you know, after I talked, talked to him and he, he did, he did quit. And, uh, but it was a lot of years. Yeah. Yeah. We already did damage to his lungs. Too, yeah. Too many years. It turned out. Um, he, he wound up with COPD, which was undiagnosed for years and years and years. <laughs> Um, almost till the end, right? He wasn't diagnosed. Yeah, it was like the last couple of years that yeah. before he died, because he was yeah. being told by a previous doctor that it was allergies. Oh, that's... yeah. They never did the appropriate tests oh. Uh, oh, that I know true. for him to be, you know, to for them to diagnose yeah. COPD. COPD. You both um, are are big proponents of anti-smoking and you you work on these anti-smoking campaigns and you worked with the CDC on an anti-smoking campaign. Um, but before we talk more about that, um, you, uh, so Leonard came down with with um, COPD. His, he turned 83 and then he went into the hospital. I'm not going to rehash his whole his whole journey because a lot of people that are watching this already will know this. Um, but but his last night in the hospital or one of the one of the last ones I suppose, um, he called everybody into the room and it was like this big send off, right? Um, yes. That um, that was his idea or that was you were like we have to get everybody together. Well, or was it mutual. It was kind of a mutual. Uh, idea slash plan of his <clears throat> his wife Susan and myself so I was I was at the hospital it's late in the afternoon I was there with him visiting and Susan walked out to talk to his doctor and he just pretty much told me um you know how proud he was of me how much he loved me and you know just the memories he had of our times together throughout our lifetime together was very special to him, but you know, he was just, this was just getting to be too much for him. The fact that he couldn't breathe on, on his own well anymore. Yeah. So, you know, when Susan came in um, back in the room, I told her, you know, what he had said to me. And so I, she, you know, she went and called my brother and her son and, uh, and I called my, my kids and we made you know a plan for everyone to come over in the e early evening so we were all together in the hospital room with him and um we you know he went to each grandchild and you know he had already talked to me and my brother 
before me earlier. But um, so he just wanted to talk about special memories that he had with them and what did they, you know, what special memories uh, did they want to, you know, talk about. And we played his fate, one of his favorite songs, which is The Boxer, you know, by, uh, you know, yeah. Paul Simon. Simon and yeah. sang the song to us. I mean, he, it was almost like, you know, it was the calm before the storm, basically. He seemed, he was alert and he could sing and talk and not, he wasn't gasping for air. And it was just like he came out of himself and became the old, you know, yeah. grandfather that we knew, you know. So, and then um, the plan was just to make him comfortable. And so he had uh, medication and... Yeah, he went. He went home, and he passed away at home. I understand he had a special message for every for everybody. What did he have to say to you? Do you feel comfortable sharing that? Um, well, just basically for me, it was just during our talk. Just you know, just keep moving forward. Put one foot in front of the other. Enjoy my life. You were already working on plans for this film um, before your father passed. So yes. Um, so Leonard, Leonard's, um, uh, departed and you both continue, continue with plans, continue working on this film. Yes. So how did, how did your plans for the film, Leonard's passing meant he could not, um, yeah. could not obviously narrate it. Uh, so... How did that change the way you saw the film? How, how did it change your plan? Uh, so what had happened was, you know, after Leonard passed away, there was just such an incredible outpouring of, of love, uh, notes from, from everyone all over the world. It was just an amazing response. So Julie and I really thought we really should expand the theme. So we're, of course, going to be talking about COPD, Leonard's battle with COPD, but really expanded into more of a, a celebration of, of his life and a tribute to him. And it was really shaping more into like a biography is what it was. And um, so as a biography, of course, we're starting with him growing up in Boston and coming to LA and that whole career. And it, uh, we were very happy because the entire family was involved uh, in the production You'll notice all the grandkids were interviewed. Uh, Julie was great. We wanted to make sure all the kids had, you know, equal amounts of, you know, time to discuss their relationship and what it meant. And so uh, we were very happy with the way it came out. It was a very, it wasn't a commercial film. Um, we had decided that uh, it would be very appropriate for it to air on public television and uh, distributor American public television did pick it up. And uh, we just had such a wonderful response from it. It really grew, uh, especially from the health community as well, uh, that we would be these advocates for uh, creating awareness for, for lung disease and prevention. And that really- And kind continuing of, and my continuing. dad's legacy because yeah. he, uh, and his uh, you know push for awareness because he was on Twitter and he was tweeting uh, messages to his fans and to whoever looked at his Twitter about stopping smoking and 
lung disease and just bringing awareness to yeah. it. So and you, you know, just to follow up on that, it really started with Leonard, the story you're probably aware of is in 2014, when they were coming back, uh, him and Susan from vacation, going through JFK. And of course there, uh, he was in a wheelchair, he had his oxygen and uh, paparazzi spotted him. And uh, of course, from that moment, he became a big advocate going on. Yeah, the that's what pushed him to become an advocate. Yeah, so that really got us to <clears throat> thinking we should be the ones really to continue his work. And this was in 2014. And that really is how the whole COPD documentary started was from Leonard's going public. It was uh, was pretty difficult for him, wasn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah. And uh, but he wanted to get the word out, and uh, and he really was great. I think he be, really became one of the faces of people suffering with, with this horrible, horrible disease. It's a great thing that you've continued that legacy, and it's still sort of a passion with you. Um, uh, as I say, you've you did a um campaign with the CDC, they actually used part of your film, right? Yes. Yes, yeah. there's the, the clip with Susan <clears throat> is actually from, from our film. In fact, on Wikipedia, on Leonard's page, they have the clip. Uh, there's no reference that it's our film. But we're continuing uh, because, you know, when, when talking about COVID, when COVID first appeared, it was really attacking uh, the lungs. People would have pneumonia. That's what, really what they were passing away from. So. Uh, Julie and I know that if Leonard was alive during COVID, he would be encouraging everyone uh, to get vaccinated. Yeah. And so we started another campaign. And wear a mask. And wear a mask. Yeah. So we had started another campaign with a company here in L.A. called L.A. Care, uh, which are billboards. If you go online and just type, you know, uh, Leonard Nimoy uh, vaccine, COVID vaccine billboards, there's, there's uh, references and there's pictures of it. And so uh, working with CBS, they've given us uh, licensing to use Spock's image. And so you'll see some pictures of Spock and we have new billboards that are actually coming out next week, uh, working with LeVar Burton and then oh, you wow. next week, because that's when the press release is coming out, uh, these updated billboards. But vaccine awareness is kind of something that we're also uh, you know, getting really kind of expanding our, uh, you know, Leonard's legacy by doing this because it's something that he would be supporting. And Julie and I are also involved in a sculpture. You may have, well, you did. I think you guys shared that news of the Leonard Nimoy Memorial sculpture. Yeah. In yes. Yeah. So and and that, that was, that was just funded. They, they've been trying to get, get it funded for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and they were only about like seven, they had only gotten enough donations for like 7%. So that was like the pinky finger. Android stepped in. The, 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 the co-creator, founder of Android, Rich Miner, right. uh, who was a fan of Star Trek and Leonard and it inspired him and, you know, science and technology wanted to support it. So uh, there's going to be announcement. Uh, right now we're saying six figures, but it's going to really take us with his donation to, uh, a nice place as far as we're going. It's going to change pretty dramatically uh, in the next week, and we're going to update the the board, uh, you know, to reflect that. That's great. Do is there is there sort of a 
date that they're looking at to be able to to put it to unveil it? Are they are they thinking like sometimes? Yeah, like this if everything goes smoothly this year. Yeah, they're hoping by the end of the year uh, that it will be completed. Um, and uh, yeah, Julie and I would love to go to Boston to be. Yeah, pretty I would too. I had one other question about your film, which is really just a matter of my own curiosity. Whose idea was it to have John Delancey read the uh, read Leonard's tweets? Well, just that uh, John and Leonard had worked together on, the, on these audio uh, audio books, yeah. but they were also friends. Yeah, yeah, they were friends as well. So, and I don't, he had a good, he has a good voice, so we thought it would he would sound really good. Yeah, yeah. you know, doing the yeah. narration. And he did. Um, a, I thought he did a great yeah. job to reading. It was Leonard's poetry. You know, Leonard. Had, Oh. What four, five poetry books? Yeah, yeah. Po yeah. Poetry, photography. Poetry, books. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, we, uh, this would be great to have. You know, John reading some of the poetry and providing some of the voiceover. He yeah. was great. He was, yeah. yeah. Well, one thing <laughs> I want to share with you too, Rick, is the film yeah. we're working on. Uh -huh. We're working on a documentary about Gene Wilder. Yeah. And that started was something that I wasn't aware of is that Leonard and Gene were really good friends. And oh, really? so mm -hmm. what had happened was um, after, um, actually it was the release of Remembering Leonard Nimoy, we had it at a film festival at the Newport Beach. Yeah. And Julie's stepmom had asked us for an extra ticket and the extra ticket was for her friend, Karen Wilder. And I never even knew that Leonard and Gene were, were friends, but they had been friends for years and they would visit each other. And, you know, Gene had passed away from Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. And immediately thought this would be a great idea for, for another film where we can honor uh, Gene Wilder as an amazing talent like Leonard, but also bring attention and awareness to Alzheimer's disease. Alzheimer's disease. So that's how that was kind of born. That. Yeah. You know, and that's what we're just uh, finishing up now. Oh, you're just finishing up. So you've, you're just yeah. doing post-production at this point? Yeah. Or? yeah. yeah. Exactly. <sighs> and that'll be out this year, too. What kinds, what kinds of interviews and, and such? Who, who have you talked to? Oh, if you go on the IMD page, you'll see. look at some of the names. But probably the highlight, I would say, is Mel, Mel Brooks. Brooks. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's amazing. Alan Alda, Karen, Carol Kane. Uh, Eric McCormick, uh, the kid from Willy Wonka. Gary Connick. Gary Connick. Oh, we have yeah, a nice big, cast. Nice cast. Yeah. That's great. Do you have a release date yet? Uh, it's going to probably be in Ooh. the summer, fall of this year. Okay. We don't well, have it's going to, yeah, June. Yeah, June, we're, we're targeting June, but it could be a little bit later, but definitely this year. And uh, so we're really excited about that. Julie Nimoy. Uh, David Knight, this has been an absolute honor. It's been, I'm really been so delayed to talk to both of you. This has been so much fun. Well, uh, thank you for having us and talking with us. It was really fun. All Take right. care and have a great weekend. Thanks, you too. Thank you. Bye. Bye.